0: Welcome to the pub. fuck you. <laughs> I said podcast first and I was like, fuck the hell? <laughs> fuck you, podcast. Fuck you, podcast. Featuring Joe
1: and Kelsey. Fuck you. <gasps> Hello. <the> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what if they're not listening in, in the afternoon?
0: Oh, jokes. All right.
2: Uh. (laughs) Wait, what have we peaked? We're just like, poof, blew the air balls balls out. Oh my God. Can we start again? Oh my
0: God. Welcome to the Fuck You Podcast.
2: Moving on. Gilda. Gilda. What's up?
0: What's happening?
2: How's your life?
0: Goody goody gumdrops. How's yours?
2: Good. I got coffee.
0: I mean, coffee's life.
2: Yeah, I think it's helping my headache go away. Oh, that's that's a lie. Mm. I just I, I'm I, trying
0: to. I'm glad you caught yourself here because <laughs> you really played yourself with that.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to justify coffee time
0: of the day well you've got a big night
1: wow okay (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: all right
2: josepha how how what is new with you
0: what's new with me i guess what's new is that every day i'm just always getting re-educated and re-informed on things that i thought mattered Mm -hmm. which now could almost sound hypocritical if i said that they don't matter as much Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like that's an example um i guess my concreted perceived truths wow that's deep right Mm. it's so well you already know that we go there but my concreted perceived truths it's almost every day i'm discovering a perceived truth that actually is connected to a lot of other perceived truths Mm -hmm. so the collective truth is almost like molding in its shape to me right now if that makes sense.
2: And if that was a person, what would they be? Like, not what. That's rude. Mm-hmm. What, how would that person look if that was a person? What are some of their characteristics?
0: I guess someone who's always wearing a different outfit every single day, um, really expressive and, and uh-huh. embraceive as well. Like, uh-huh. um, someone who's just really dynamic, evolving, um, but at the same time recognising that they're a part of the – the problem as well, so it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like they know that they're a part of this bigger issue, but they're clouded by the veil of the mm. book club.
2: <laughs> Straight in there. If you participate in the book club, we have respect for you.
0: That goes without saying. Why did why did you even say that? That goes without saying.
2: <laughs> I don't want to, you know, make people like feel yeah like we don't appreciate their... It's an opinion mm. to things. Mm. It's just not for us,
0: one hundred percent. And
2: it, and like the traditional book club is just not for me because there's too much marginalisation within that, and too like not enough community.
0: Mm. Well, do you reckon that that could be some sort of like privilege as well for oh, us yeah. to? Because, yeah, I'm just trying to entertain a lot of different narratives. So mm. I'm like, could could us not subscribing to the book club, is that a privilege in its way? Because it's like we live in a society that we can operate outside of the book club, if yeah. that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I do. I agree. I think a lot of our society is built around the book club. Mm. And we've lived in this space as like, and also in the way that we've operated within the Western Academy, the you Western Academy, and the book
0: club—almost like best friends—and it's an exclusive mm-hmm. club.
2: You have to have been within it. Well, my my opinion is you have to have been within it to be able to recognize that it's even a thing. True. I mean, I've had oh, limited, well, I've guess... had limited experience within the book club. I've had some experiences. I've had more experiences of with people who are part of the book club.
0: And see, my my my. I guess little tiff with the book club is that they come to like indigenous marginalized um, cultures and and they really we know
1: what's
2: best for you yeah <laughs>
0: and it's almost oh. as they're like we're gonna save you based on these scriptures
2: because this is what we think is right and mm. what we think is real and what we think is important
0: but there's no superiority mm. in that at all there's no such there's no such thing as hegemony over that oh, mate, with
2: Mister cookie
0: yeah well. Even even missionaries now that go into far like to um mm. to the Pacific Islands like I feel like that's what I'm really calling out is the like missionaries in Pacific Islands right now, I don't understand what the point is,
2: mm.
0: and especially because saviour. Yeah. well, yeah, and what then are you the saving time, them from? And that's the problem. Is like I feel like they get they're ill equipped to handle real world issues within that real time. Yeah. And I think that's when, for me, the book club really knows needs to tap out when they're not actually adding value to the host communities because mm. they're the ones that are really being stretched and pushed outside of their limitations. But that's a conversation for another time.
2: Yeah, great. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> How are Five you doing? Five years later. Hard.
0: How are you doing?
2: I'm doing okay. I, at this stage today and in the last couple of weeks, I'm learning when... To stop and – not stop, but, like, stop – limit investment into Mm. relationships that aren't serving me.
0: Wow. And
2: not out of a lack of effort, but out of a lack of response. So I have some people in my life who I've chosen (laughs) – chosen I've chosen who who I've chose to be part of it, who – still are in a sense but their amount of involvement in my life and how they're involved in my life has changed and evolved and I feel like I'm still trying or have in the past couple months still been trying to operate within what it used to be and just recognizing that people in relationships and friendships change and just like trying to be okay with that which is really hard
0: it actually is and there's not a step-by-step guide through it. It's like fail through it, and good luck.
2: Yeah, it is. It's quite challenging, um, but it's it's an opportunity for growth, mm. and I welcome it. Hard. It just makes it. It's just a challenge for me at the moment.
0: Mm. And beyond that challenge is like mm. growth and progress, and yeah, you know I'm all of these all other great things.
2: To. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta get there.
0: Mm-hmm. What was what's our co-puppet today?
2: Um, so, as the second part of our pre-releases, before we get into our first guest and topics, we want to give some more context about us, who we are, the way that we think about things, all that kind of stuff. So, we want to have a look at our some of our experiences through secondary and tertiary education. Well, then, you know, that old maid academy that we keep talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it almost makes us sound like haters, <laughs> but it's actually just critical. No.
2: Yeah, critical. I don't hate on it. I'm appreciative of it. I resp- I have a lot of, uh, I was highly encouraged to be involved in that space and can see the benefit of me being involved in that space. Um, I took a hiatus and now I'm back in that space. <laughs> um, but my reasoning is different, but we'll mm. get into that. Mm-mm. Yeah, not against it, just critical of it.
0: Yeah. And that's 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 a space that I uh, that I occupy as well. I'm like, I think we need to start being critical of a lot of things mm. that we as society normalise. Yeah, but yeah,
2: and not just being like, oh yeah, cool, just because it's normal, mm. normal, whatever that is, because it's common and because a lot of people are involved in that space, doesn't mean that it has to be the only option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, so. Uh, last time I talked about high school for me, but I talked about my relationship with my friends. Um, another interesting experience for high school for me was uh, figuring out who I am in the world as Ooh, a what do you mean by
0: that?
2: <laughs> as a queer, queer person, <gasps> um. Oh my
0: God. Did you just say the word that must not be spoken? Yes.
2: So I recognise queer can be a challenging word for some people. Um, I use it and recognise that it was a derogatory term Mm. way back. Still is in some places of the world. Homosexuality is still illegal in 77 countries, I learned. Oh, come
0: through facts.
2: Um, If that's not true, don't blame me. Blame my lecturer. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Um... Yeah, coming to terms with, like, who I am and and recognising that the social structures are there and I don't fit in them, and then rebelling against them.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah.
2: So when – so my parents split when I was 14, um, and around that time as well, I was kind of, like, starting to – like a lot of young people do – starting to explore what relationships would look like for me in the sense of, like, having a partner – yeah a partner. um and at the end of intermediate i had like this one little boyfriend <laughs> um <laughs> it's just like was this
0: your little stunted being straight
2: yeah it just doesn't <laughs> work for me um and like no shade on this person like mm. it was lovely um clearly not for me um and we would like hang out and we'd like hold hands and like go for like walks around the neighborhood. Which was cool and made me recognize her and the feelings that I felt towards other people were not felt towards this person. Mm. Um and that it was it was a lot of effort rather than Recognizing some of my relationships with some of my female friends, was well, effortless, and recognizing that those, that, there was just a difference there. Not knowing at that time, in end of intermediate, start of high school, what that meant, I was just like, oh man, friendships with boys are so hard. Friendships with girls, easy, so easy. Um, yeah, and then moving through high school, I had a, I don't know, there was like this one person that I was like, I think you're really cool and kind of, I would say attraction, because they were a guy who was quite feminine, as in they had longer hair. Um, They always dated pretty girls that, and I think it was more so I wanted to be that person rather than I wanted to be with that person.
1: Um.
2: So that was an interesting was, experience. Yeah, great, great um,
0: reflection right there.
2: And I obviously I did not know that at the time. It was a reflection from a few, few, just a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I was in high school. I was like, once I was figuring out who I was, I was like, I'll come out by the end of this year. I'm gonna be out and proud by the end of
0: this year. Oh, so when was when, when's your rainbow age then?
2: 18. I came out when I was 18 so not in high school, <laughs> but in high school I was like, I'm going to come out by the end of the year, I'm going to come out by the end of the year, oh I'm going to come out by the end of the year, never happened, but I'm so glad now that it did not. I did not come out in school, because I do know of a couple of um, women who enjoyed relationships with women, lesbians, even though I hate that word, um, there are a couple of lesbians at school who were like the year above me, or like, two years above me and the judgment that they got at school was ridiculous there's I don't know if I would be as confident in my queerness now if I had have come out at school because of the judgment and because of the little looks that they got that I I saw as a like viewing it from the outside maybe from the inside they didn't say that I don't know I can't speak on the experience. Mm-mm. But, yeah, I was, I'm i just so glad that I did not come out in high school. I don't think I could have handled it.
0: Or oh, it could have pushed you and, and, and shaped you in different ways, but we don't know. We won't know.
2: Yeah. Don't know. Mm.
0: Um, D- wait, but, like, um, so you coming out mm. at 18 and the pressure, why didn't you come out every single year that you said you would?
2: Because I think I was too far into dealing with, my new family structure
0: go mm, mm, mm. there
2: and I found that really really challenging and I was I didn't handle it very well mm. but I'm not mad about that like I was a child I was 14 I was 15 16 I dealt with it the best way that I could but I would lock myself in my room after school like I would go to school late almost every day I would come home during lunchtime because I live quite close to school mm. and just like wake up, be late to school, come home, stay in my room, go to bed, do the same thing. I didn't really have like those friends that I talked about, like I hung out with them at school. That's kind of a friends out of ease rather than actual friendships. So I didn't really have friends in high school. Um, and I found solace in the art department. Mm. I would hang out in the art department. If I was at school late like, ever, I was in the art department. Um, I had a couple of people that were in the art department that I would kind of like hang out with, but we weren't really friends. They were, j- again, just there as ease because they were there mm. rather than being proper friendships. Yeah, so not, I, yeah, looking back, I think I was maybe slightly depressed during high school. Uh, definitely didn't handle or didn't didn't have the tools to handle my emotions and responses to what was happening around me. I dealt with some other mental health challenges as well. And there was also some other occurrence other things happening in my family that I'm not gonna go into on the podcast <laughs> that were happening as well that I just didn't have the tools to deal with. Mm. And so the only way that I knew how to control anything in my life between 14 and 18 was how I presented and how, like, to feel some kind of something. And this is not something that I'm proud of at all. Go there. Um, But what I did at the time to deal and have control over myself was that I would Mm. self-harm. And never... In a in a wait for attention, mm. and I never showed anybody, um, and like you can hardly see it. Like it was never huge, like like I see some of the scars on some young people these days. Like holy heck, um, but it was just enough to make me feel for a couple minutes, and to have some kind of control over something in my life.
0: Wow, I've yeah I've never been there. I'm um, yeah. just
2: like, Wow, it didn't last very long, which I'm pretty grateful for. Depressive state lasted longer, mm. but that yeah, fourteen to eighteen was really challenging for me. It was a really, really challenging time in my life mm. with like my parents with some other stuff that was going on and was trying to figure out who I was um and and at that stage, it was kind of only my sexuality, and now, as a Twenty-five year old, I can recognise that it was also rebelling against society's expectations mm. of mm. gender as well. Mm. Be it. Um, yeah. So peachy. <laughs> 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 no, just like fourteen to eighteen, it was really challenging. Um, I'm really grateful that I've not ever gone back to that mental state mm. since then, um, and kind of just like snapped out of it within a couple of weeks. Not like one day just wake up and be like, oh, that's great. Um, but within a couple of week time frame around 18, my whole life just changed for the better. And it's kind of just been on an upward trajectory from there. Oh. So uh, <laughs> high school, 14 to 18 specifically was was a challenge for me. Honestly, couldn't see myself living past like 22. and oh, wow. in, in that mind state at mm-hmm. that time. Whereas now I'm like, holy heck.
0: Oh, yeah. Hindsight, right?
2: Yeah. Glad I had the experience. Didn't enjoy the experience at the time. But it's given me skills now mm. to be able to deal with so many things that I never thought I would have been able to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I feel like that's such a, there's multiple lessons that you've had to learn the hard way. Mm on your own with no yeah. support
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say I had no support I just couldn't see it it was there if I needed it but I didn't feel like I could ask mm. see and
0: that's what I'm saying like I feel like when like recognising the real state that your mindset was in Was it was almost mm. like okay well can somebody come and save me now or like mm-hmm. what do I need to save to, to, to get out of this mess
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's given me skills now to be able to support close people around me through some of their own mental health challenges Mm. being able to learn the lesson pretty hard way that like if you're in that state or if you're in a situation where addiction is apparent you can't help that person until they're ready to help themselves right you will be busting your ass to do whatever you can to help them but it's really sad. It's really, really horrible lesson to learn that you just can't help them until they're willing to help themselves. You can support them. You can be there when they need you, but you're not going to cure that person. Mm. You're not going to be able to, like, like take all their problems away if they're not ready to do that. It's really that was a shit lesson.
0: Well, I feel like, you know, summing it up, you can take the horse to the water, but...
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a valuable lesson but i just mm. not that i wish that i didn't learn it but i just wish that didn't hurt so much
0: well that really shows the depth and to me the, the depth and substance of your love and the, your generosity and your kind heart because i feel like it takes a certain somebody to be able to reflect on those dark moments and mm. also see the good the goodness that brought out of there as well yeah. so to me, I'm really witnessing and noticing the depth and strength of your heart. Yeah, Kindness and generosity always takes you everywhere, but at the same time, it's like <laughs> the people that are usually kind and happy have been through the most.
2: <laughs> yeah. And as much as I want this podcast to be a conversation, I have dealt with that. I do not want to be talking about it again. I'm willing to be vulnerable in this moment as we're recording it, mm. but please don't come come for me asking for <laughs> advice on that stuff. I'm... I'm I have dealt with it, and I've moved on with my life.
0: Mm.
2: I don't want to be reliving that. Beautiful. Yeah. How was your high school experience? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where do I
0: start after that? Um, I guess to me, I always think of um, my high school career as like the assimilation of Joe, Mm. because um, in a way I really felt like I already came here culture shock into primary school and primary school was amazing because I was so still so ignorant. And mm-hmm. I feel like being ignorant is, like, it's such a blessing because you can fail through so many different awkward places and spaces and people have to give you that grace because you're ignorant. But in high school...
2: To. I don't have to and often I don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think I was I lucky enough. Yep.
0: Yeah, I was lucky enough to not witness the, um, them hating on me or them blatantly... <laughs>
2: Or maybe they were and you just didn't understand.
0: Even better. That's the, that's that's what I'm saying. The beauty of ignorance is so... Far by. Mm, whoa, big word. <laughs> that's a big word. Um, but, yeah, so when I think about my high school career, I always just look at all the conditions, I'd say, because I feel like, in a way, um, in high school, I loved it. I loved, like, I... And probably one of those people that are very, very few and who really enjoyed their high school career. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I was the jock or I was the bully or I was famous or I was this or that. It's genuinely because I made connections. I went to school to eat my lunch and hang out with my friends. Mm -hmm. Like the classes were just supplements to that. Like the education was just supplements to that. But I didn't know that what I was learning in class was already a part of a bigger system. You know, what I was learning was a part of um, imperial ways of of controlling people's minds, Um, colonial ways of, um, you know, educating and re educating one side of the history of New Zealand. So I'm just thinking about all the other ways that's happened in my life. And it is disheartening to know that, you know, you try your best, you're like, you're a kind person. Even if you're born into the book club, it's such a sad process to understand that the book club's not all-encompassing of all truths Mm -hmm. and for for a lot of my brothers and sisters who are part of the book club that's something that I feel like I need to just bring up is that when you come out of the book club and realize that there's multiple truths that exist outside of the book club I would offer you like 100% to hold on to a lot of your support networks Mm -hmm. and and that space in place because it was tough for me to try and look around for support and I was looking for support from people within the book club. And that was happening in high school, while like like while I um, because I went to a Catholic high school, mm. but outside of high school as well, because all of my friends and family were all in the book club. Yeah. So in a way, it, it was like the assimilation into their social norms, into the way that they would operate. But at the same time, I actually had such like so much fun in the book club. Mm. Like there's a lot of community aspects to it that almost is almost like to me they just kind of used Wolf's, like sheep and wolf's clothing kind of thing in Mm. terms of they would come and figure out how we would connect with each other and then replicate that in their own version of it and repackage it and resell it to us kind of thing. Mm. So high school for me was like I came out and at 16. So the reason why I came out was because I was so sick and tired of pretending that I just like, I I just convinced myself. I was like at 16, I'm like, I just want to come home and be 100% myself. And I didn't care if my mum accepted me for who I was or not. Um, There's a massive complexity there. We won't go into there. But um, it was like, I think that was the first time I really like drew some boundaries for myself and what I would accept from from my family, my friends and me. And I literally was like, mum, I just want to come home and be myself. The weird, wacky emotionally roller coaster, colourful person that I am. I just wanted to be that person. And I think I was lucky enough that my mum didn't say the words that I needed to hear as a child, but she didn't kick me out completely. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that my, 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 my coming out um, story was anything negative at all. It was very much just a lesson of ignorance and how do you, you know, lead through adversity or complexity because – um it's just my mom's a single mother of two mm-hmm. so i can't really fault her for not knowing how to comfort and yeah. love and support me um because i didn't even know what i wanted so that's another like like factor to the story was that i my plan was just to come out and then to just fall into this pool of love yeah Whereas like in reality it's like you come out and then it's like you're you're like as soon as you open your mouth and you say that you're gay it's like you're telling the whole world to judge me mhm Judge me for who I am, based on the definitions or the one-sided narratives you have on that that topic of gay or yeah, queerness.
1: For sure.
0: So it was. I think it was disheartening for my mum because, in 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 the hierarchy um, of where queer people fit within the village life, um, that they live outside of that. It's almost like in every every festive activity, we're almost the clowns and the entertainers. Mm. So my mum didn't want that future for me and that's yeah. like that's her one-sided narrative of what a gay person is and because her family and friends and a sp- like uh, i don't know if you know this but there's a lot of pacific island like toxic homophobia mm-hmm. like in the pacific island communities there's toxic homophobia mm-hmm. where it's 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 like they, they say it in nuances. They don't say it up front or they don't um, tell you up front like, hey, we hate you or we hate gays, but it's almost like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, and it's so sad. It's oh, like, it's little dicks like, oh, we don't do things like that. Mm. Stop acting like a girl. Stop acting like a boy. <laughs> and it's like, that's their way of saying that behavior is not acceptable within my life.
2: Yeah, I think that can be seen in Western worlds too.
0: For sure. One hundred percent. Well, how how do you how do you see that nuanced?
2: Uh, not so much in relation to sexuality, but in regards to gender. Simple things like within infrastructure, there's a male bathroom and there's a female bathroom.
0: Right, right. I see that.
2: And then there's also a bathroom for, um, like we call it the disability bathroom or like the wheelchair bathroom. Why can the wheelchair bathroom not be within the male bathroom or the female bathroom? Why do we have to segregate by ability? And also, why do we have to segregate by gender? And what about our community that doesn't fit within those genders or recognises that there is the binary but identifies outside of it? Hello. Um,
0: <laughs> you're asking a lot of societal issue problems that we only have one hour to deal with. Yeah,
2: and it's just <laughs> one. Like, there's so many other things. One hundred. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so... And everyone pees. <laughs> it's a common it's just thing. just Yeah. Ooh, Hopefully peas, not on the grass. poos and eats is yeah. like what we, we all have in common. Yeah. I feel like we need to add to the jar of like what we all have in common. <laughs> you know, like, we okay, we all have <laughs> poos, eat. Um, but yeah, so rounding <laughs> back, back to, your to high my school. <laughs> high school career. Um, I guess I, f- I fitted within jocks because I was in um, basketball, volleyball, water polo, swimming... And then at the same time, I loved I loved acting and I like I loved drama. Mm. It was I was in um Sheila Wind, which is like Shakespeare. Mm. And I boy, you don't even know. Like we we I think it was called the, the, the play that we did was called Taming of the Shrew. And I was like I was this honestly, <laughs> I was this beautiful English, like Victorian. Oh. I had I wore a dress and everything like that. Did you? We went to Dio. And wow. I was, okay, wait. Well, I'm just going to like flex.
2: like a really upper up, up society private school with a large cohort of white students.
0: Elite. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we went to Dio and literally I won, um, so that's what I'm saying, I'm going to flex mm. for a little bit, I won the best supporting actor role yes. and or actress why role. why were you
2: not the main character?
0: Oh. Um, one, because I wasn't. Um, yeah. And then too, because see, notice how I'm—I play a female character, mm. and it's—it's it's almost like to me, I don't—I don't—I—I I, I can play both characters well, but mm-hmm. because there was a shortage in feminine athletes, what mm. we call them, in and a all boy school, it was kind of like, oh, we've struck gold. You're tall, you're big, and you're flamboyant.
1: Mm. What
0: does this mean?
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, I think in in a way, there's a lot of ways that. I was pigeonholed because of my talents and not because of my intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I, that I really like want to just highlight that just because you're good at something, not it doesn't mean that that's like the, like the whole entire embodiment of your intelligence. Like I think I was really pigeonholed in my own thinking as well that, oh i had to be the athlete or i had to be the singer songwriter or the actor or the entertainer mm-hmm. and it's like actually no you're all of those things equally yeah. mm-hmm. but you pick bring them out in certain situations and highlight yeah. them in certain um, circumstances because that's who you are like I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a sensory person I, I look at this and i'm like okay kelsey you seem safe i can share a lot of my things with you and i know that you'll catch them or you, it'll, it'll land on your fields mm-hmm. whereas I feel like in different circumstances, I'm like, I actually just want to be a cold-hearted bitch at the moment because I don't know you, you're not, you haven't set the scene or prefaced um, this environment in a way that I can be sharing and overcoming. And I think that's a real metaphor for how a lot of queer people feel in these public spaces.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm. At uni this week, we've been talking about... um, Go there. I had to write a a thing about how I knew that I was queer. Mm. And how and why I identify with certain words and maybe not with others.
0: Wow, that's that's a massive like reflective tool. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's not even worth like a mark. (laughs) It's just part of the paper. Mm. Anyway. I'm not sad about that. That's the Western Academy for you. Tell me all about you. Be vulnerable. I'm not gonna give you any marks for it. (laughs) Um (laughs) uh, it's part of the like what is the word that I'm looking for? It's part of the like, you're part of the group, you're part of this conversation kind of mark. Rather than here's a mark. Anyway, irrelevant. <laughs> um at the bottom of that I divulged my life. At the bottom of it I said, I think that my queerness is the least interesting thing about me, but it's often the first thing that
0: people want to talk oh. to me about. Honestly, I'm I'm trying. Uh, this yeah. is the best thing that I've ever heard. Only because that's how I've felt ever since I came out.
2: Yeah, and I think it's, it is a reflection of mainstream media pigeonholing queer narratives into the coming out and the exploration exploration of self. Mm. And that is the the mainstream narrative for queer people. Yeah, rather than being a person who's an athlete who is queer. Mm. It's a, that is a queer person.
1: Yeah.
2: And then that gets perpetuated in society when all anybody wants to talk to me about is being queer. And like even where I work, there are some people who only ever bring up queer topics with me. And I'm like, you know I'm also interested in the arts. You know I'm also working with you know doing all these other things in my life but the only thing you want to talk to me is a part of my life that is private in the sense that it only affects the people that I'm sleeping with really it's why why do you think that my queerness is something that we can have a conversation about and that is the only thing you want to talk to me about you don't want to talk to me about my friendships what I'm like as a child of somebody you don't want to talk to me about other relationships in my life but you want to talk to me about the most private like private like it's just blows my mind that some people reduce queer people to just being queer
0: people Mm. and see that's like i the the reason why i 100 percent agree with your um your 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 narrative right now is because i've always considered myself like I'm I'm a male and I'm a human first, mm. and I'm queer second. Like yeah. I'm not, and it's not just to, to put in a hierarchy because I believe in hierarchies, but it's almost to, to say that you know, there's more to me than just being a gay man or queer, being a part of the um, queer community, and mm-hmm. I totally relate when you say that. People actually only tap me in because they think that my intelligence only fits within the queer space. Yeah. And I'm like, um uh, oppression doesn't work like that.
2: Do you find that culturally as well? Like sometimes you oh, get called into 100%. stuff just because you're a brown person. Mm.
0: And yeah. to me, I feel like it's it's um, like I call it culture hour where every every time it happens, I'm like, oh, it looks like I'm gonna be culture hour. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Um and even That's when so, so me and my uh, me and my friends so that
2: diversity tick, eh? yeah. We've got five white. Basically, on this panel. let's have a brown one. <laughs> and the brown, the brown kind of
0: one is supposed to encompass the Pacific. There's twenty thousand islands in the Pacific, mm-hmm. one hundred and one thousand and two hundred languages yeah. in the Pacific region, and I'm supposed to represent the entirety of, of the them. Pacific. there and that's just like that's <laughs> how I feel about um, queerness as well. It's like I'm a gay cis male, yeah, and they want me to speak on queer issues, and I'm like. Um, It's not like I like I need. To, that's why I, it's for me. It's so important about positionality. Like you need to be able to identify where you fit within that mm-hmm. space and only speak from that lens. Because otherwise, I'm really belittling the little the lived experiences of all the other different yeah. islands in mm-hmm. the Pacific or all the other um, letters within LGBTQ plus. Yeah, because I'm not sure about the I and the A yet. Intersex. No, but I'm not sure if I they see, added sure. that or not. Because you know, like it's subjective. On, yeah. People can call it
2: whatever so they want.
0: please know that even for us queer people in the community, we still get confused with that. So, don't you straight yeah. people come for us? Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> you're, what's true. You're acting like we're like all encompassing, and I'm like but not like, all of us are on the same gay education.
2: It does like I know that f- for some people, those identifiers of the of the acronym are really important. But for myself as a queer person, labels don't really, like, hold weight for me anymore. Mm. When I was coming out, I was like, yes, I am a gay woman. Because I needed those labels to identify with, to know that there was a place for me in society. Or lack of. Mm. Um, But now, what, seven years down the line? I don't really care for labels anymore. So I think that, you know, whatever. But I can see the necessity of that acronym mm. for a lot of people, particularly our young people, or for particularly for people who are in the beginning stages of their their journey. Yeah. So it's LGBTQIA+, and that is a very white Western acronym, Thank you. our takatāpui, our Finney are aren't represented in that.
0: Two-spirited people. Yeah. So. There's so many different ways they can go too. Yeah. But yeah, um amazing, amazing, amazing. I feel like we, we always seem to be, and it, <laughs> this is the sad part, is like we have various like experiences that mm-hmm. almost spit out the same type of connotations.
2: Yeah. Was there... Like, within your high school career, was there a particular person that you, um, within the school environment, or is there a particular person, maybe like a teacher or something, that you felt like you could be yourself with when you didn't Mm. feel like you could be yourself anywhere else?
0: Um, Yep. So in in high school, I have to say um, shout out to all the female teachers at St. John's College, because um, most of them really knew how to cater to my personality. But at the same time, they let me live like my best Mm. life. Miss Lewis, man, she really let me live my best life. I would be coming in being like, kia ora miss, how's your mokupuna? And she'd show me her her, her pictures, because I love babies. So Mm. she literally would let me live in her class. And she was probably... Um, it would it would be her class and Mr Harris's class it was matt's and Matts in English ugh, of all the subjects yeah but um they would actually let me live and they would treat me as though I was a human instead of I was flamboyant or colorful mm. Joe it was they treated me like That's okay true. like mm. hey Joe you're loud again cool please know that these other students in the class and I'm like <laughs> oh yeah okay sorry my bad I, yeah like. And that's, that's, I guess, in a way, that's how you knew. Well, for me, it was low-key um, social cues on how you fit in with the rest of the community. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: the funny thing was, it's actually, I'll, I'll rely on what you said before. Even when I went to other desks that wasn't the brown desks, they mm-hmm. would only ask me about brown topics as well. Yeah. Or they would only talk about things that they knew that I would have something to talk about. And I guess, in a way, in high school, it's because you're trying to build common ground. So people try, like, purposefully... PC the conversations because mm-hmm. it's like, oh Joe, what do you think about hip hop? And it's like, um, Joe lives in the Pacific and yep. listens to hip hop. <laughs> That's what Joe thinks about hip hop. Yeah. What about you?
2: Um, I there was definitely a couple of teachers in in like year twelve and sixth form mm. that the one in particular, um, who I don't think understood that that class that was my refuge for that year oh wow um it was my media studies class Mm. it might have been year 11 but I i think it was year 12. um yeah i wasn't particularly interested in the content of that class but that class that space that teacher created a refuge for me when i think that was the hardest year in that 14 to 18 time frame And I think it was just because they were just so eccentric and didn't really, like, pay too much attention, but I still felt like they cared because I didn't want someone to baby me and I didn't want someone to be like, are you okay? I just wanted someone who would just, like, recognise me, see me as a person and treat me well. Mm -hmm. And so that teacher, like, I don't really have much to... Do with her now, like we kind of live in the same place, in like Raglan, uh, but i hardly ever ever see her. But yeah, I really I found a lot of solace in that in that place. On the flip side of that, there was one teacher who I tried I recognize now I tried to reach out to, indirectly, to say hey, my life is quite challenging. And they just didn't pick it up. Um, But this was also a teacher, a different teacher, but a teacher who I thought, if they figured it out, would be able to help. Mm. As an adult, I can see that the conversation that I was trying to have was help me, but the conversation I was actually having at the time was I keep saying, I want to go to boarding school, I don't want to be here anymore.
0: we all all have different ways of communicating our warning signs
2: and and this teacher was like why would you want to do that and I was like I don't know it just seems like fun but just never put two and two together and I've recently seen this teacher again as part of you know just life Mm. Um, and they're amazing and I still have so much respect for them but still kind of feel like this little bit of disappointment that you're in these spaces with young people. We should be equipping our teachers to recognise these these signs, to recognise or have the tools or skills to understand when something's happening. Because it wasn't a one-off conversation. It was a consistent conversation. And, yeah, I just, I, I don't know what that would look like. Mm. Maybe like an education programme. I don't know. But
0: yeah. No, well, I th- I feel like not to d- diminish um, your lived experience. Um, speaking from a teacher's perspective, they're been pushed to do all of these like oh, various yeah, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. and on top of that, so, like, they've got know. life, and it's like to me, there's no there's no way that a teacher can be encompassing of everything for everyone, right? Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. that's the that's the problem is that teachers are too heavily focused <laughs> on content and curriculum. Yeah, Overworked. and that that's it. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying like to me I feel like your experience is actually highlighting quite a lot of different ways teachers are missing the like you know that genuine authentic connection with the students because yeah. they have to focus on curriculum and time and push 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 these content and theories mm-hmm. but it, like that you 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 are probably one of many children who actually
1: yeah
0: you know couldn't get the help that they wanted or required because mm-hmm. at the same time it's like what point is overstepping when somebody's yeah. mm-hmm. like because all you have tell, like, I, I don't know the conversation, but, you know, like, mm. if if you're not saying it in black and white, which mm. you wouldn't as a child anyway, it's like, you know, no, as, as a, at least... I don't have the language for that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But yeah, um, wow, interesting, because I feel like there's so many different, um, if we were to unpack that scenario, there's so many different key points that were, like, you know, that fell through the crack, as they say.
1: Mm.
2: Whack. <laughs> <laughs> No. uh what Joseph what belongs in the FAQ today
0: um I feel like what belongs in the FAQ today specifically yeah. and especially with all our um, our Talanoa is that high school is a messy space oh yeah to, to, to navigate and not just for people who are marginalized or oppressed or anything like in general high school mm. is, a, is a messy space for people to try and balance and counterbalance mm. I think the worst thing that we can do in high school is is assume that everybody is there for you yeah because in a way shape or form like you learn quickly who is actually for you and who's not because it's usually the people that are there at the 11th hour at your at your mm-hmm. problems those are the ones that are like you can really count on but even even just having support as is a is, is somewhat pr- like a privilege nowadays because mm-hmm. there's so many people that you know, get left or fall through the cracks because we just actually don't care enough about the humans in our society. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that belongs, that as as a thought and a framework belongs in the far queue. But like, you know, to look, flip that on its head, what is the solution? And I like that you were talking about, is it a program or is it... Um, you know, professional development for the teachers mm. or is yeah. it an actual, like, what is the solution? And I guess, to me, even though we're putting that thought in the far queue, I also want to leave room for um, any possibilities because it's it's so good to critique something, but mm-hmm. to also try and fix it as another, as another conundrum. So yeah. I, I just want to put, like, I guess, that duality, as I mm. keep on saying, that although that thought process belongs on the far queue, we also need to acknowledge that, you know, even the education system, they don't—they're still trialing things.
2: Yeah.
0: And we Should just happens to be, minor, <laughs> yeah, to be we just happens to be, guinea pigs. So yeah. that belongs on the far queue. Yeah. Any what? What? What would you? Anything that you got from today that belongs on the far queue?
2: I think that the Western education system is running out of is running in a way that is just replicating what's always been done because it's like we're doing it the same way just because it's the way that it's always been done mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of opportunity for individuals, for the government, for the Tertiary Education Commission to come through and have a critical analysis of the, the mainstream education system and to be like what's actually working, what isn't working. Mm -hmm. I know there are some Kura who are um, called charter schools who have done that on their school basis alone, but to have a national critical analysis of what the education system is actually preparing our young people for, like, (laughs) like it's so past needed. But in the same breath, I understand that that, sector is so undervalued, is so underpaid, although the current Labour government has, um, has um, invested more money there. But the last one, for the last nine years before this government, really screwed it over. Uh, there needs to be more investment. There needs to be more time and effort put into that sector to have a critical analysis, see what's working for young people, see what's not. I really think that there needs to be some kind of a life skills curriculum within the secondary within the secondary school system. Even within like primary, like this is how you um, make toast. <laughs> you know, like little things that little people can do that are outside of academia mm. that will build skills and build a foundation for them to be a productive adult within society or to be part of society rather than on the outskirts of it.
0: And make the content actually, like, so I agree with you, and make the content actually um, reflect reality because I yeah. feel like that's that's one of the reasons why I really got um, sidetracked it from science was because science was almost it's like, one, way. already a foreign language, but yeah. two, I had no idea how science fit into my day. Yeah, and into my life and so
2: many conversations, but how? When am I going to use that? Right. And I said that in high school. I know my parents said that in high school. And I hear young people saying that now. Why am I learning this? What am I going to need this for? Like, give them context.
0: Right. One hundred percent.
2: Yeah. Anyway, moving on with our lives. So next um, episode will be the last one before we get our guests in. I'm <laughs> so excited. Um, and we're going to discuss um, our tertiary education experiences and kind of a little bit past that into how we got to exactly where we are
0: now. Mm. The infamous um, now.
2: Yeah, but definitely if you want to stay involved, check us out on Instagram.
0: The uh, What's that, Fuck You, the podcast or Podcast The Fuck You?
2: Check us out on Instagram at Fuck you podcast.
0: podcast. Okay, Fuck You Podcast. Yeah,
2: to we're still that. learning our own Instagram handle. So Fuck You. Fuck You Podcast. Hey Joseph.
0: Yes. Fuck you. Oh my god. <laughs> Very much.
2: Oh, no, thank you. All right.
0: See you later. <laughs> fuck You Podcast Jingle.
1: You're such a fair